Okay, well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter number four. Matthew four, let's stand in honor of God's word. Good to have the sixth grade department here today and the youth group here as well and just kind of combining together. Uh, hey, this is a lot more than what I used to preach to in live stream only services. So this, I feel very comfortable with this. It's great. And um, uh, we had the service on Wednesday morning. There were five that came. But, uh, you know, hey, regardless of how many is here, we, we've got the word and opportunities. So look forward to trying to preach here this morning. Matthew and chapter number four and um, Matthew four and verse 12. Let's start our reading there. Uh, I am really glad to have sixth grade here and the youth, uh, Brother Brian, Brother Seth, uh, Brother Luke, all, all of you that are involved, all the workers. We, we pray every Sunday morning for you all in this uh, auditorium, either at the very beginning of the service or in the midst of it. And church, I, I really believe God's doing a great work among the young people of Southwest. It's very encouraging. And so I just, just want to say I'm really glad, glad you all are here. Uh, of course, we've started running the buses again and things, you know, making uh, strides and gaining momentum. And so there may be even some young people, kids watching by live stream. I look forward to getting them back here uh, even next week. And so uh, let's pray, of course, to that end. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter four and verse number 12 says, Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which was upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled. So Matthew often is going to say this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah, the prophet, saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that's really what we focused on last Sunday morning. In fact, we really paid attention to verse number 16, where it says, The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, now our text, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship which Zebedee, their, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. That's significant, isn't it? They left their father, they left the boats behind, they left the fishing enterprise behind to follow him. Well, it says here in verse number 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers, diseases, and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis, Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. I mean, so a lot of people from a lot of places followed Jesus. Our series, uh, for those of you that maybe are just joining us, um, is entitled this, Jesus is King. It's emphasizing the fact that He's Messiah and His authority. Jesus is 
king. He was not born to be king. He was born king. Jesus is king. This morning, I want to challenge you with this uh, message here this morning. I want you to consider God's claim on your life. Everyone. Everyone. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not called into, into ministry like they were called. Well, how, uh, do you know that for sure? Huh? You say, well, I, I kind of get an exemption there because I'm older. Uh, wait a minute. Where'd you find that? Well, I, I'm already, you know, I'm in, I'm in my career. So were they. Okay. Um, God's claim on your life, on every life, on every life here. Every life, every person that's watching, every person that's here. I hope and pray you'll just seriously consider. Don't. Um, Hang on, I want, to, I want to set this up right. I want to urge you this morning, don't, don't look at this and think, well, um, I've heard this before. You know, and don't, don't let your mind wander off. I wonder how cold it's outside now. <laughs> I wonder if I'll find my car. <laughs> Stuff like that. Don't think that. Okay, now we just thought it. Okay, that thought's over. All right. I really want you to tune in and think about God's claim on your life. Okay, God's claim. We, we can't let other thoughts keep us from thinking about God's claim on our life. So I've already asked God to help me not be distracted by all the distraction. Because we need to understand God's claim. Yeah. Father, one more time. Just like to come in your presence to pray. Um, I think about even the day when you pass by. What a, a day that changed their life forever. Can't help but think that we're maybe even just one or two here, and I trust more, that would give serious consideration to your rightful claim on their individual life. God, we, we want to recognize your claim on this moment, these moments that we have together. Lord, this is a service held in honor of you. And so we're grateful uh, for that opportunity. And so I, I'll certainly, God, need your grace and help to explain, but also to apply your word in a right way. So help us to understand what was going on here then. Help us to understand how you work today. And even to understand specifically what you're doing. Well, thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God's claim on your life. <clears throat> the uh, solution that we saw in this text to the spiritual darkness that was surrounding uh, the area of Galilee in particular, as we came into the text and, and considered that region there, the Sea of Galilee and the cities that surrounded it. And we gave attention to the fact that instead of choosing Jerusalem, Jesus chose Capernaum and, and set up his headquarters there. And, and really, maybe if you're the Jewish Messiah, if you were, then you would think about maybe Judea or, or Jerusalem. But he chose that, that area and it's referred to as uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. And the reason that he did so was, as we saw, <clears throat> that it was densely populated. I, I mean, when you do the math on what Josephus, the Jewish historian said, then you're going to calculate over 3 million people that lived in this region, which really is mind boggling. And whether or not that's totally accurate, uh, I don't know. But, uh, but nonetheless, there must have been a bunch of people there because even if he was exaggerating a little bit, there was enough to go off of that, that there was uh, quite a few folks living there. 
and also is multicultural. We consider that uh, the quote by um, William Barclay, not Charles Barclay, <laughs> that Judea is on the way to nowhere, he said. Galilee is on the way to everywhere. In fact, you think about it. Since our Lord told his disciples after his resurrection, meet me in Galilee. Do you remember that? Meet me in Galilee. And it was in Galilee that he gave the great commission. Galilee of the Gentiles. I mean, he could have gave it to them there in Jerusalem, and he did. I mean, he reiterated it with them there. But he gave it to them in Galilee of the Gentiles. Why? Because Galilee is on the way to everywhere. In fact, we could say it this way. Galilee was on the way to Oklahoma City. See? Galilee was on the way to Bowling Green, Kentucky in my life. Galilee was on the way wherever you were when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Or Galilee was on the way to where you are today for you to consider his claim on your life. And so it's no wonder as you consider it from that angle and that vantage point that you can see why Jesus chose Galilee of the Gentiles to be the place where he would start his church and call forth uh, James and John and, and Peter and Andrew and Nathaniel and Bartholomew and all the other disciples. Uh, it makes total sense because he's planting his church right where people were living in spiritual darkness. They were in the shadow of death. It, it is his office to enlighten the ignorant. It is his delight, uh, at, Albert Barnes said, to guide the wandering. And, and so there he is setting up uh, his, his, uh, his headquarters there in that, that region and so that he's dealing with people that are in the shadow of darkness. I hope you thought about that this past week, that there are people all around us in the shadow, constantly in the shadow of darkness. They're maybe trying to get out of, out of their mind the fact that someday they're going to die, but it just keeps coming back. Why? Because they're, they're in the shadow of darkness. So the Bible says that when Jesus came to this region, that, that it was indeed a fulfillment of what Isaiah said, that, that he would be the light, I mean the great light in fact, the great light that would shine in the darkness and it would shine into those that are in the shadow of death. And so really what we're reading about here in these verses that we read and gave attention to, beginning in verse number 18 and following, we, we considered last time how that Christ was the answer for their darkness and the message of repentance was the, was the message for their darkness. And so now what we're reading in verse 18 and following is how, how did he turn their night to day? How did he bring the darkness, sorry, the light into their darkness? It really was quite simple. Personal evangelism and diligent, persistent discipleship. That's what he did. He did not come and build big buildings. He did not start impressive programs. But here's what he did. Follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. Can you imagine? Just follow me. So Jesus calls on these men to leave what they were doing, to stop what they were doing, and begin to follow him. I, I want to urge you here at the early part of this message, I want you to, to consider God's claim on your life. A claim. We understand what the word claim is. I looked it up just to make sure. But, you know, it's that which you're entitled to. It's that which you own. It's, it's possession. It's rightful ownership. And so somebody may lay claim to a mine. If somebody comes in after that individual laid claim to it and they try to take it and make it theirs. And that's a claim jumper. You got it? There's some claim jumpers. I believe today that there may be some claim jumpers throughout churches across America, maybe even in Southwest Baptist Church. Because God's already claimed you. He owns you. He has possession of you. He has in rightful entitlement to you. And if we try to take back any part of our life, we're claim jumping. Is that making sense? Spiritual claim jumpers. So I want you to consider this morning, what is God's claim on my life? I'm not saying this morning, uh, I'm not saying this, although I don't want to give you an out either. I'm not saying up front that, that everybody here ought to go, go to work whenever they open back up this week sometime and give your, your resignation letter and say, look, I'm done, I'm going into the ministry. 
I'm not saying that's what everybody ought to do, but I am saying this. Everybody here ought to be willing to. Everybody here ought to be willing to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. I'm serious about that. I mean, you ought to be willing to lay down your tools or, or, or lay down your stethoscope or lay down your pen or get away from the computer or whatever it is. Hey, because God's got a claim on your life. He's got a claim on your life. And so we want to take that truth and apply it even just to basic Christianity to see, are you, are you even doing what God wants in your, just your daily Christian life? I mean, if we just started right there, how are we doing? Is that, would that make sense? Just start right there with the basics. I'm not, just, I'm not talking about when God calls you to the ministry or whatever it may be, but, but are you doing basic Christianity? Say, preacher, don't preach so hard to the people that got through the snow to get here. Well, I'm preaching to everybody else too. Don't forget that. But I'm saying to you this morning, hey, listen, young people, God's got a claim on your life. I would to God that you would, you, would, you would see that and embrace that and don't run from that. He's got a claim on your life. Husbands and wives, he's got a claim on your life. Uh, those of you that are in the elderly years of your life, he's still got a claim on your life. The urgency of the mission necessitated the suddenness of the call. The urgency of the mission, I mean, what Jesus was doing necessitated the, the uh, suddenness and this, the suddenness of the call and the immediate response that they gave. They gave a wholehearted, immediate response. We're at the Sea of Galilee now, and, and you know, you'll see the Sea of Galilee listed as the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Tiberias. Tiberias was one of the other cities that was there, but nonetheless, you'll see it in the Bible in different ways. But I think you know what the Sea of Galilee was, and here they were. By the way, this was evidently not the first time that he had met Andrew. According to John chapter 1, Andrew was one of the disciples of John the Baptist who followed Jesus and said, Lord, Sir, we'd like to see you where you live. And so Andrew went with Jesus. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So, I mean, we kind of come on the scene here in Matthew and you think, my goodness, I mean, he just out of the blue called them. No, he'd already met them. He'd met these individuals here, and, and so he'd already, and, and Andrew recognized, you're the Messiah. So Andrew, if you read John 1, Andrew went and told Peter, Peter, listen, we found him, the Messiah. And so did Nathaniel and Philip, and, and that, the whole scene that's there in John 1, if you want to read that, and that certainly was prior to this event, because by the time we come to this event, then John the Baptist is in prison. Are you following me? The chronology here, I mean, it all syncs together, but we just have to put it back together for our purposes. John and Matthew and Mark knew what they were talking about. Yeah. Under inspiration, for sure. So here uh, Jesus is calling them, Andrew and, and Peter. He comes by the seaside there and he sees these brothers and they're casting a net. They made their fishing by, I'm sorry, they made their living by fishing. Now, don't get in your mind, Zebco, all right? Don't, don't think about, you know, they're, and then out there fishing, you know, line fishing, all right? No, they obviously, as many of you, even still today, you can still see people fishing with nets. They take a net, it's usually, you know, it's round, and, uh, and it has weights along the outside of it. And so they would cast that net out, and it would have a long line, and, and thus they would let it sink down, and they would begin to draw it. Hey, listen, it was hard work. It was um, time consuming. And uh, while it was very lucrative at times, I would imagine like a lot of fishing trips I've been on, there's times you didn't catch a thing. I mean, you just pulled the net back in, you know. But I mean, evidently they, they had made quite a bit of money with this. I mean, in fact, in other gospels, it talks about John's dad having servants and boats. So I'm just trying to establish here that, that they were, Doing pretty well. They were earning a living. But God has a claim on your life and he's not wanting you just to have a living. He wants you to have a life. He's got a claim on your life, not just day-to-day -day existence, but a claim on your life. And so he's calling these men that would, that would understand just how much hard work fishing was in their day and time. And, and I believe he would call them to that. And it's using an analogy to, to no doubt to say, now you're going to leave fishing for men and you're going to fish for people. And you thought that was hard work. You thought fishing for fish was hard work and you thought that there was little results there. Well, there's going to be little results at times 
and fishing for people. And so he's calling them and using that, that analogy. And, and he says in, in verse number 19, follow me. Look at it again, if you would, please. This is God's claim. Really, I believe on all of our lives. Follow me. Follow. Come after. Hear after me. Follow me. I, I want to emphasize that. Me. Follow me. It, hey, he calls you to a relationship. Follow me. Uh, the relationship precedes the service. Don't miss that. The relationship precedes the service. He first of all calls you to have a relationship with him. Follow me. I'm, I'm saying to every, every person here today, follow him. Follow him. Are you really following him? Listen, he, he did not call them to be just hearers. He called them to be followers. There's a danger in church that we would be just hearers and not really followers. Are you a hearer or a follower? He says, follow me. Are you in a relationship with him, a growing, vibrant, personal relationship? I, I just want to pause along the way here because this is way too, this is way too important to get in a hurry on and just kind of get through this. I, I don't want to just get through this. No way. I, I'll get through it on the way home. Are you following me? I'll get through the snow. I'll get through that, but I don't want to just get through a message. I, I want everybody here to consider, am I in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, like, like you're, you're endeavoring to have time with him and, and hearing from him. Are you following him? Because you could be in church every single service and not really be following him. Is that right? Young people, is that right? Follow him. Adults, families here this morning, I mean, and people watching by uh, live stream, is that, is that right? I, I know that, that it's possible for us just to kind of go through motions because it's what we do and not really, truly be following him. He says, follow me, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. He was calling them to associate with him. Are you glad to associate with him? Or are you embarrassed by him? Oh, I hope and pray that you're glad to associate with him. And, and it was a call to, to be attached to him. And, and it was a, a, a worthwhile call on their life. And it was a lifelong surrender, by the way. Think about this. I like what one man said. He, he said, it's no longer taking fish up from the bottom of the lake or up from the depths of the lake, but rather it would be drawing men out of the abyss of sin and death. What a picture. What a picture. I, I think about our, our missionaries and where they are, and they're, they're casting out that net, and they're drawing in men and ladies and boys and girls. And even as we go out and we run the buses, what we're doing is we're casting out a net there. And at work where you go, we're casting out a net. You're casting out a net. And, and in your families and in your friendships, hey, listen, your main role, even as a believer, is that we are to be fishers of men. We are to be soul winners, personal soul winners. I mean, engaged in this. And that's his claim on your life, that we're to be drawing men up and and bringing them up out of the depths of sin. What a privilege. What an honor. And yes, sometimes we cast out and we come up empty, but that does not matter. He's called us forth to be fishers of men. What an honor. What a blessing. Amen. To bring them up out of the depths. And, and even overlaps with Psalm 40 about he brought me up out of a horrible pit. And praise be to his name. I'm sure glad. I'm sure glad today that, that, that uh, Marvin and Melinda Carson were willing to answer God's claim on their life and come back to Bowling Green, Kentucky, where they would be, he would be my pastor and she would teach Sunday school. And I heard the gospel through Miss Melinda and through others that their lives impacted. I'm telling you, they, they knew that God had a claim on their life and they surrendered to it. And my life is impacted as a result of that. They thought God was calling them to Ethiopia and Ethiopia closed because of, of the communism and all that was going on there. And I believe he really wrestled with it about God's claim on his life and thought it was to be on the mission field. But he surrendered to the fact that God hadn't called him to go, but called him to sin and called him to work there. I'm glad that he recognized God's claim on his life. Aren't you glad whoever led you to Christ recognized God's claim on, on their life? and led you to Christ, and then here's what we've got to consider today. God's laid a claim on your life. And, and what you do with this claim will shape your life, and not just your life, but many other lives beyond us. Right. Right. Wow. 
Man, they had a family business going on. I mean, at least it says with James and Zebedee, or James and John, the sons of Zebedee. I mean, this was a family operation. And, 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 and you think about, you know, um, I mean, uh, Peter and Andrew, evidently, according to John chapter 1, they were from Bethsaida, and, which is literally house of fish. That's a good place to go fishing. I mean, they were in a prime location where they grew up. They knew it, the trade, and now they were living in, in Capernaum. And, and, and evidently they were because Peter had a house there and his mother-in-law was sick there. I mean, they, it's not like, by the way, it wasn't like when they, when they said yes to God's claim on their life, they never had anything to do with their family again. No, I think they interacted with him, but primarily they followed him. It was lucrative. They were serious about this fishing enterprise. I would imagine it was probably more than even just a job. I think they probably actually enjoyed it. It's a matter of fishing, and most men would. You know, my dad was about to go into commercial fishing, bought, you know, uh, these uh, actually fish box traps and everything. Anyways, it's kind of a bigger story than what I've got time to go into today, but... But he was, he was getting ready to get serious about it and then had a hard episode and he didn't get to go into it. I, I'm just trying to say the, these men, they were deep into their lives. And yet that day, when this man 30-something came by and said, follow me, they recognized his claim was greater than any other claim that was on their life. I like what one man said, uh, Leon Morris, he said this, <clears throat> allegiance to Jesus is stronger than any earthly attachment. Allegiance to Jesus is stronger than any earthly attachment. There's a lot of earthly attachments. There are many. But allegiance to Jesus is stronger than any earthly attachment. And thus, they literally forsook their nets. Notice it didn't say net, but it says nets, plural. The idea is they probably had more than one net, and they had maybe even more than one type of net. But here's what they did. They left it all behind. They walked away from it to follow him. What's the result? Well, the far-reaching impact of this is given in verses 23 through 25. When Jesus taught in the synagogues, they saw and heard him teach there. What a privilege. They heard him preach the gospel of the kingdom, verse 23. They saw him heal all manner of sickness and disease among the people. I mean, he was indiscriminate in his, his willingness to heal people, not like the charismatics today. Uh, he healed them all. He, if you notice this as well, he healed those that were sick. The lunatic, now, now we use lunatic in a different way. This would be those that struggle with epilepsy. And, and there was a distinction here made. In fact, I think this was quite an insight, not the main part of the message, of course, but it would be this, that they knew the individuals that were demon, demonically possessed, but they also knew people that were sick and those that had, that had epileptic seizures, and they knew people that had palsy or they had paralysis. And watch this, they made the distinction here, not thinking that demonic possession was involved in these other sicknesses here. They made that distinction. And yet they also recognize this. He's got authority here and he's got authority here and he's got authority there overall. And thus the multitudes began to follow him from Galilee and Decapolis means uh, 10 cities. There's 10 primary cities around the Sea of Galilee and they came from there. In fact, a demoniac of Gadara. In Mark chapter 4, uh, with his life was totally changed and he even wanted to follow Jesus, but Jesus told him, no, go back and tell all your friends what God has done for you. And all that region of Judea and Jerusalem and beyond Jordan, east of Jordan, that Transjordan area, I'm, I'm saying this, following Jesus had a major impact on their life and other lives. And thus they left their occupation, they left their families to follow Jesus because they 
considered God's claim to be greater than any other claim. I believe God still calls people, don't you? I believe God still calls people to surrender. And when, when he calls on you, and if he's dealing with you here even this morning, laying his claim on your life, and he already has laid his claim on your life, then you ought to respond with no excuse, no delay, just complete obedience. Let me, uh, let me um, challenge us here this way. What claim in your life is greater than God's claim? Would you, would you pause and just consider that here just a moment? What claim in your life is greater than God's claim. I mean, you think about even just basic Christianity. That's, I told you where we were going to go. We're here. I mean, just basic Christianity. Um, what claim in your life is greater than the basic claims on, his, on your life from Him? Uh, hey, listen, Sunday morning belongs to Him. Anytime the church assembled belongs to him. And I realize, you know, we've got some unique circumstances with COVID and cold. All right. We got that. And I, I get it. I, I realize. Um, and I, I think everybody that's that is right with the Lord is understanding this. When I'm able to be there, I need to be there. Um, I know I sounded the warning a few months ago, but I think it's worth warning again. That, that we're in a dangerous place in American Christianity uh, where it's getting soft. And, and we don't need to go soft. This is not a time for that. that he's laid claim on Sunday mornings. And I, I'm, here I am preaching the Sunday morning crowd. He's laid claim to Sunday nights. He's laid claim to Wednesday night. He's laid claim to, to those times when we gather together and no other claim is greater than that. He's laid claim to you having some time with him of the morning. Yes. You say, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> well, he claimed the nighttime then. Sometime, I don't know when, but he's, he's laid claim. He wants to have time with you. What's greater claim to you than that? Sleep can be a great claim. Oh, man, I didn't know he was going to go meddling on Sunday morning. No, I listen, hey... Uh, Tiredness and sleepiness and all that can lay claim on us and keep us from following Him. What's laid claim to your soul winning time? What's keeping you from, from trying to be a fisherman? You've got to have His help. I get that. Uh, but what's laid claim to the time when you used to spend trying to lead somebody to Christ or at least invite them to church? What's, what's laying claim to that? Maybe there's some nets and you're all tangled up in them. What, um, what material possessions today have a greater claim on your life than what he does? What material possessions? Hey, aren't we blessed living here in America with all that we have? We really are. But nothing, no material gain ought to have greater claim on our lives than what he does. Otherwise, we're claim jumping. Does prosperity have claim on your life? Does a business? I, I thank God for your jobs. I pray often for you in, in your jobs and, and, and where you work and in places of employment. Thank God for jobs. But, but listen, folks, you first of all are a believer under his authority and, and you, you work and serve under his authority. And, and I'm not saying slack off in the job. In fact, if you are being true to his call on your life, you'll be the best employee there. Amen. I really believe that. But, but I'm saying to you, there's a danger that we could have this career mentality that, that it's all about working up the corporate ladder. It's all about working and, and having more and more gain and more and more properties and more and more, more and more degrees or more and more this. And we kind of get caught up in the American dream. And what we're is, what, what, what is happening rather, I'm sorry, is that we're all wrapped up in our nets. 
And he called on them to forsake their nets. Is God calling your life? I still believe God calls men to preach. I, I believe God calls young men to preach. I believe he calls young ladies to come alongside like my dear wife has done now for so many years, just being a support and a help. I believe she's just as much called into this as what I am. And I've never regretted the day when on August the 1st, 1991, when Tommy Stone was preaching and God had already been working in my heart about the call to preach that I walked down the aisle and I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I, I'm answering the call to preach. I've never regretted that day. I left my net behind. I gave up on Major League Baseball. You say, well, that's a good thing because that wasn't going to happen anyways. Good point. Good point. But still, I had dreams. I had desires. I had wants and wishes. Hey, I, you, you get that. And you had a, a heart for things and a desire to be involved in things. But he calls on you to forsake your nets. I remember as I was working and Brother Copes was pastor there at Meadowview and, and I just felt the overwhelming sense that I was supposed to not work uh, at O'Reilly's still, although I love working at O'Reilly's. It was a great place of employment. I enjoyed working there and I enjoyed doing the grad school work that I was doing and doing the internship that I was doing, but I wasn't really able to give a lot of attention. Are you following what I'm saying here? I wasn't able to give a lot of attention here. And so I just, by faith, talked to Angie and said, Angie, I think we're supposed to just go all in on this and just trust the Lord and we forsook the net of O'Reilly's. And guess what happened? God took care of us. Amen. And he's taken care of us ever since. I've never regretted forsaking the nets. There's so many ways, though, that we can get entangled and, and kept back. And, and I wonder how many lives would, would be impacted if God's people would just say, God, you got your claim on my life, and I'm not going to be a claim jumper. I'm just going to let you have full control of my life in every way. I'm just running some things beside, by you here today for you to consider. This is between you and God, but I hope every person here is considering God's claim on your life because if you're not careful, you could get involved in secular self-interest to the point where you just want to live the good life when He wants you to live a godly life. He's got a claim on your life today. Is fear keeping you back? Is fear keeping you back? You say, I can't do that. Hey, He never called you to do it. He's called you to let him do it through you. Don't let fear keep you back. You could, you, could, you could answer God's call and do what God wants you to do, or you could spend the rest of your life wondering what God could have done. Don't let fear keep you back. Forsake the nets and, and, and don't, don't allow uh, uh, the nature of the work. Maybe you say, man, I, uh, that's hard work serving God like that. And I've seen it go bad for other people. Hey, listen, don't let those things keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. You say, well, I, I want to make money. I, I, wanna, I don't want to be in the ministry because you don't make money in the ministry. That's true. There are some that are more interested in the fleece than the flock. But the money's not about making money and such. And you may have in your mind, well, I want to have this kind of home and I want to have this kind of... Hey, wait a minute. He may be calling you to forsake your nets. You want to fit in with society. The society and its image and its entrappings have more of a claim on your life today than God. I love sports, but I want to ask every person here today, ladies and gentlemen, young people alike, many of you involved in sports, and that's, that's okay as long as you're recognizing God's got his claim on my life. Does a relationship have a greater claim on your life than what God does? Does a relationship, and, and, and listen, I, okay, well, the marriage relationship. Um, look, hey, uh, by the way, today, men, is Valentine's Day. If you hadn't done something by now, you're probably in trouble because everything's probably closed. Uh, we've got some paper and some markers. <laughs> Hey, I'm thankful. I, God's got his claim on my life to be the right kind of husband. But, but you gotta, we got to understand this relationship is first before this relationship. And that's, that's no slight. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm thankful for this relationship, but I'm, I'm fearful that sometimes in, in our culture, we try to get horizontally what we can actually only get vertically. 
And thus we come to relationships as graspers rather than as givers. Are you listening to this? God's got his claim on your life, but there may be somebody here, maybe a young person, maybe even somebody that's watching by live stream uh, right now. And, and, and you are so enthralled. But that guy or that girl, and, and look, I understand that. I'm still enthralled. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But you better make sure that relationship doesn't have a greater claim on you than what God does. Your image, your reputation. Boy, I remember what it was like. The young people are here today. I'm just going to preach a little while to you all. I remember what it was like <clears throat> thinking I was cool. Delusional. I thought I was way too cool to be in the youth group activities. Now, I don't think that's the spirit and attitude that's there, and I'm thankful for that. But, but we used to make fun of spiritual people. You know what I'm talking about? You can be in a youth group. You can be in the sixth grade. And you can be in the 10th in the grade. You can be whatever grade you're in. You can be in Bible college. All right? I just saw the red light. That means you're watching right there. You can be at Bible college and, and, and make fun of the spiritual people. They're, they're all spiritual. Huh? And you've got your little subculture that's sneaking around and doing what you want to do. And you're all caught up and you think you're cool. I thought I was cool. Comb my hair between every class. <laughs> Till it fell out. <laughs> I was so caught up in my image, believe it or not. I've never regretted, though, when God, through his word preached, just began to get through to my 14-year-old heart and helped me to realize, number one, you're not cool, and you never shall be. But more importantly than that, I've got my claim on your life. Young lady, he's got his claim on your life. Got his claim on you. He made you. Young man, he made you. He made you. He's got his claim on you. Sir, he's got his claim on you. Lady, he's got his claim on you. Your goals, your ambitions, your acceptance of people. How about this one? Your past. Can I say to you today, He is greater than your past. Amen. You know, I, I don't know all of Peter's past. I know some things he did after he started following Jesus that would incline me to think he probably, that probably wasn't the first time he'd cursed. Probably not. He had a past. I don't know all of his past. And, and the others, Matthew, I mean, he was a publican. He had a past. He's probably deceitful. I'm just saying, hey, don't let your past put a bigger claim on your life than the one who died to save you because that's the greatest claim on your life. Forsake that. Does your comfort or your pleasure have a greater claim on your life than what it means to really seriously follow Him? Your comfort and your pleasure. A few years ago, um, a man named Woodrow Kroll <coughs> wrote a book called The Vanishing Ministry in the 21st Century. And the subtitle was this, Calling a New Generation to Lifetime Service. And as I understand it, he wrote the book because he was burdened about the number of missionaries coming off the field 
in comparison to the number going to the field. And the number of pastors that are no longer pastoring versus the number of people willing to go into a pastoral ministry. There are many wonderful, dear missionaries that are no longer able physically to serve on the field. Who's going to take their place? Could it be you? He said, I don't think he'd call me. That's up to him. I think about our dear friends, Brother Carl and Miss Bonnie Clark. Physically no longer able. There needs to be some more Bonnie and Carl Clarks in this world. They're just ordinary people. But what they did is they recognized God's got His claim on my life. And I'm going to let Him have my life, whatever He wants to do. They serve God faithfully in South Africa and Botswana. Who'll take their spot? Woodrow Kroll said it happened without fanfare. In fact, without notice. While the church slept, the great diverter worked diligently. He attacked on every front. We were all taken in by the devil's devices. Listen to this, what Mr. Kroll said. He got us inordinately interested in ourselves. He distorted our goals for our children. He got pastors too busy with today's problems to be aware of tomorrow's needs. He got our Christian colleges to broaden their mission statements, to expand their scope, and consequently dilute their eternal importance. The result, he said, wasn't felt immediately. In many areas, it wasn't even recognized at all. Usually, we don't even know that we have a problem until it's too late. But we have a problem, he says. In contrast, listen to this. Everybody listen to this. In contrast to the numbers in the general population, the ministry workforce, the ministry workforce is still vanishing before our eyes. Mega churches that are growing by leaps and bounds, have the natural instinct to keep growing, expand, pull down their worship centers and build greater worship centers. Churches that are dwindling have the natural instinct to survive. Churches that seem to have, have forgotten that their one primary function is recruitment of minute members for ministry. Fewer young people hear the call to ministry as a lifetime vocation and little is done the great diverter is good at his job. Please listen. Certainly nothing is wrong, he goes on, with one being a plumber, a pipe fitter, or a postal employee. This world needs all these occupations, and you can enjoy any of them and use your gifts for God at the same time. But if you think that God has gifted you to preach the word, if you see the desperate need for preachers and you believe that God is gently tugging you through the Holy Spirit to exercise that God-given gift in a way that serves eternity, then for what are you waiting? Throw down your plunger. Throw down the pipe. Throw down the publisher's clearinghouse envelope and pick up the powerful word of God. I believe God's still calling. And he may be calling you to forsake your net. How you answer the call, listen to me, how you answer the call will shape your life. And it also will determine who else's, whose else's life you impact. Can I ask you here this morning, who has the most valid claim on your life? You or God? Whose claim will yield 
the greatest impact? Your claim or God's claim? Which will it be today? Fish or souls? A living or a life? Boats or churches and classes and buses and people that now are going to heaven after they die? Will it be temporary pleasures or eternal joy? Would you please consider God's claim on your life? And if today He's calling on you to forsake your net, forsake it. Forsake it. He's calling every believer here to be a soul winner. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's for every believer. To be a godly Christian, there's no greater claim than his claim. Don't be a claim jumper. Father, I want to thank you today for your word and how that this call that you put on the life of these four and the others continues to have an impact on our lives today because they, when called, immediately obeyed and answered your call. Dear Lord, I pray this morning that everyone here would just simply consider your claim. God, I, I know I'm preaching to people who may uh, be going through a spiritual struggle I pray they'd consider your claim on their life. I may be preaching this morning, dear Lord, you know, to perhaps even students across town that are weighing out whether they'll come back or not. God, would you help them to consider your claim? Lord, there are young people here today that have a lot of life decisions ahead of them. Would you help them to seriously consider your claim on their life? Lord, would you help moms and dads to consider your claim. Would you help those, God, that, that Lord, um, are maybe given in to temptation to consider your claim on their life that they are bought with a price and they're to glorify you. Dear God, would you help us here this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. I appreciate the way that you've listened. God's got a claim on your life. Would you surrender? We're singing page 483, I surrender all. God's, God's got his claim on you. Would you come? Would you come as Brother Aaron leads us?